Have you ever felt stuck in a shame spiral even after you have given or received forgiveness? How do we follow the Savior's example and access the peace and relief that comes from Christ-like forgiveness? And welcome to Magnify, an LDS Living podcast where we cheer, inspire, and embolden each other as women and followers of Christ. We hope to use our influence to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Katherine Davis, a mom, a seminary teacher, and a grilling enthusiast who loves God. Have you ever felt like forgiveness is a much easier gift to give than to receive? It can be really hard to accept that we are forgiven and move on past our mistakes. But the Lord promises in the Doctrine and Covenants that He will remember our sins no more when we sincerely ask for forgiveness. So why is it so hard? If you feel like you're alone in this feeling, just know that most of us are feeling the same way. In fact, I talked with Corinne Stoko, creator of Mint Arrow, and she got really vulnerable and shared her own personal story about forgiveness and the path that she has taken with her family to get to a place of peace. Well, Corinne, really, I am so excited that you are going to spend a few moments with us. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's going to be great. But Corinne, I think our listeners would love to get to know you a little bit better. So can I throw some rapid fire questions at you? Absolutely. You share a lot of yourself online and are really Mm -hmm. open and vulnerable with your community. So what is something surprising you have learned through this process? Oh, I think what is surprising is that I, there are so many common threads and so many commonalities between women where we, I think Satan's so good at making us feel divided and making us feel so alone in our problems and making us feel like we're the only one who yelled at our kids today or the only one who feels like, you know, frustrated that I can't wear my clothes after I had a baby or just, you know, there's so many like isolating things that Satan loves for women to feel like I am the only one and everyone else has got it figured out. And as I've shared and I get all these DMs and comments and feedback on the things that I try to be just super real about, it's really comforting and helpful. And I try to share that side of it too, that like, look at us, we're all the same. We're all going through the same ish kind of stuff. And I think that's one of the biggest blessings of social media is that we're not alone and that if we use it in the right way as a good tool, then it can help us to see that when we go through these really hard things that, oh, it's not just me. It's, it's all these other women too, going through the same thing. Yeah. And I saw you had a post, which I was a big fan of called the five life lessons that you could steal from Taylor Swift. Yeah. Can you share one of those five that you really loved? Yes. I think my favorite thing about Taylor Swift, and there's so many, but I love that she has been a great example of pivoting and reinventing yourself and not feeling like, well, I decided that I'm this, so I always have to be this. And that was actually something I learned too in my recovery that I did with my husband. He's very open about being a recovering pornography addict. And I discovered through that that I'm a recovering codependent. And one of the most important things that I learned in recovery is that it's okay to change your mind. And just because you said at one point, like, oh, I would never do this as a mom, or I I don't like that or whatever, or I'm not so into X, Y, Z, you can stop and be like, well, I think I changed my mind. And that's what we watched Taylor Swift do, right? She started in country and then she was country pop and then she was pop and then she was whatever, indie and rock. And, you know, she went through her angry 
rock girl phase and then just so many different pivots where I think she's been a great example of you can reinvent yourself. You can try new things. You can be different. And it doesn't mean that you're not honoring who you were. And it just means that like we're humans that are meant to create and evolve and try new things and figure ourselves out all along the way. I love that. Well, Corinne, you have a unique story about forgiving yourself and internal healing that actually involves asking for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about how you've had to do a moral inventory and tell us what that is and what that looks like and how has that led you to internal healing? Sure. So I think one of the greatest secrets in the church. I mean, I, I actually think like the greatest secret in the church is adult session of, of state conference because people skip that and that that's always like where all the gems are. But the other hidden secret of the church is our, that we have 12 step meetings. Like most members of the church don't know that, that in their area, no matter where they live, there's most likely a 12 step meeting or many in your area that you could go to just like an AA that you hear about, like in the movies and on TV. We have that in our church and it's so beautiful because they married the 12 steps, which I really believe were divinely inspired with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you get to go do these 12 steps where instead of it just saying like vaguely a higher power, they specifically talk about what we believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ, healing us and helping us. So when I did my 12 steps, I kind of hit a rock bottom with my husband's addiction, trying to control that, which is codependency and, you know, trying with such great intentions of helping him and let's come up with a program and let's fix you and heal you. And none of that works because you can't take away other people's agency. And so when I finally realized I just needed to work on myself and I started doing my own 12 steps, you mentioned the moral inventory. So step four, you do a fearless searching moral inventory and you write down all of your fears, resentments, and misconduct. And then in step five, you go and you talk to your bishop and also your sponsor And you go through all of those lists. So it was really helpful for me to just get honest about all of the things that were weighing me down in this life. And I think Satan's so good at making us feel like we are our mistakes and we are Mm -hmm. all of our fears or our resentments. And and those can define us, right, for so long. And when I did that step four and five, it allowed me to look at it, acknowledge it, and then move on. And There's actually so much healing, I think, that goes on in just getting honest with what it is and then dealing with it and then giving yourself permission to move on. And that is that is the atonement of Jesus Christ, right? It's like we look at things, we deal with them with the Savior, and then he allows us to make it whole and move on. Were you ever a little afraid as you were starting that moral inventory? Like, was that hard? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so there's a joke that I can imagine. Oh, yeah. There's a joke that they say in AA that carries over into lots of ARP meetings too, that a fourth step takes you 93 days, 90 days to freak out about it. And then three days to actually do it. And that's literally exactly what happened to me. I was probably in that like 90 day range and I went to a meeting and I was so frustrated. I, I, so there's an opportunity to share. People can share in the meeting and it was my turn to share. And I just said, I'm so frustrated. I'm just sitting, I'm stuck on step four and I can't figure out how to do it. And this woman who I will just always love walked right up to me after the meeting. She shoved this worksheet in my face and she was like, here, this is what you need. 
And she walked away. And it was just the AA three different columns of how to do a searching fearless moral inventory. But in AA, they just have you write down in those three columns, your fears, resentments, and misconduct. And so once I had that in front of me, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty simple. And then I just got up three early mornings. And once I just did it, I was like, wow, that wasn't that bad. But don't we do that with so many things? Like at least Uh I do in life. You just dread and you fear and you worry and then you get to it and you're like, okay, it's time to jump off the cliff. And then you jump off and you're like, that wasn't that bad. That's kind of what my fourth step was for me. Just getting it all out on paper. It was the 90 days of worrying about it and then three days of just getting it done. And the piece that came after that, I'm sure when that, you actually just started into that. Yeah. So I, well, I didn't feel peace right away. I felt like I was like, had a hot potato. I was like, I got to get this out of my hands as fast as I can. So the fifth step is to sit down, like I said, with your bishop and your sponsor. And I couldn't get my sponsor, like our schedules didn't align. And so I actually sat down with my bishop first. And this is funny because my bishop was like a pretty new bishop and he was like my age. So that was new for me because I had mostly in my life had bishops that were older. And so it kind of gives you that like father daughter, like relationship or whatever. But I sat down with this. I'm looking at him like, dude, you're like my peer. This is weird. And, um, but I, I went through the fourth step inventory with him. And one of my fears was I am not going to make it into the celestial kingdom with my family because there are sins that I still haven't like fully fleshed out. But his one thing was, Corinne, do not leave my office with anything on the table. Like the people who struggle the most, they, they like 70% or 90% deal with it. He's like, don't leave with anything. Like, let's just get it all out. So we did. And then when I did my fifth step with my sponsor, I remember getting to that part and I read off that fear of there are things that I haven't fully taken care of and just weeping because I was like, I don't have that fear anymore. It's gone because I had dealt with it because I had just dug it all up, put it all out on the table. And then my bishop was like, you're good, girl. Like go and sin no more. We're done. You know? So that's the beauty of the atonement of Jesus Christ is when we stop letting Satan control us and make us feel like we are our mistakes. And when we just have the courage to utilize the atonement of Jesus Christ, then we can be like, wow, actually I am whole and I'm fine. And the Savior's got me. Such a powerful lesson to always remember. But you're right. This That adversary is so good at making us believe otherwise and twisting that and making yep. us feel like we are less than or not enough or we are our sin or we are our mistake. Yep. So Corinne, let me ask you this. As you started into step five and, and after, what is the difference between asking for forgiveness and an apology? Is there a difference? Mm, what is the difference between asking for forgiveness? And an apology. I do think there's a difference. I think sometimes we apologize with the intent of getting the other person to make us feel okay. I think sometimes an apology can be a little bit loaded that way where it's like the the intent is to get a reaction out of the other person. Where um, a making amends is more about I am doing this because of my heart and where I'm at and however you receive it is not my business. And so that's I think when you do the 12 steps and when you try to apply asking for forgiveness in the way that the Savior was, you know, so instructive with and that all that he taught about, like, this is not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. This is like, you know, if somebody asks you to walk with them, I'll walk with them too. And, 
you know, if they smite you on one cheek, let them do the other or whatever. I'm not getting the verbiage exactly right, but where he was just like, don't, we're not about evening out the score. That's not what this is about. It's about like humbling yourself and giving yourself fully to the Lord and being his. And part of being his is when you realize that you were a jerk or you did something wrong, asking for forgiveness and then letting it go as far as like you don't control the outcome of how the other person receives it. And that was also a gift of doing the 12 steps. I I learned how important that is. So how do you do that if someone really is not willing to accept your forgiveness or your apology? Um, If you're asking for forgiveness, what if they want nothing to do with it? Like, how do you deal with that? Or what do you do then? Yeah, it's an interesting question because actually when I've walked sponsees through the 12 steps and even when I did my own, when you get to eight and nine, you make a list in eight of all the people that you've wronged and then in nine, you go make amends. But there are people that it would be more harmful than helpful to go try to make amends with. Like when you're married, you don't go dig up like stuff from your ex-boyfriends or whatever and like make amends with them because that's not helpful to your, you know, progression or theirs. Um, So there's times when that's, that's not helpful. But also if it's maybe your actual spouse and you're trying to make things right from the past or even like your current, you know, you're in a standoff or whatever, because that never happens with me and my husband anymore. (laughs) But um, no, it literally happened this morning. But what you do is you just say, I'm sorry for what I did wrong. And, And here's where I used to get so hung up on well, if I say I'm sorry, then that means that like he wins. And I don't feel how I felt when we were arguing about whatever we were at odds about. And it's actually not about that. It's not about like, there's always a loser and a winner. And if I say I'm sorry, then it means that I'm conceding or that I didn't mean what I said when we were trying to talk through a hard thing. It just means like, oh, I recognize that I was a jerk and I want to do better. And I'm sorry. And I care about you. I'm sorry that I treated you that way. But then you have to let it go because I think that's something that where Satan still wants to get us stuck is like, well, then I need them to accept it in order for me to feel better. That's codependency. That's like, I need someone else to tell me I'm okay. And where we can let go of that is to say, no, I just need God to tell me I'm okay. And if I do my part and I say, I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness, then I just need God's validation that I did that part right. And it's okay for the other person to not be okay the second that I'm okay. Right. Cause I think that a lot of times there's, there's this expectation of, okay, I'm over it. Now I want you to be over it to make me feel better. And I think when we let go of the other person's responsibility of making us feel better and we let God make us feel better, then we allow people the space to grow and heal and do whatever they need to do. And then our apologies aren't loaded too. So how has this led you to be able to forgive yourself and move past some of the things that maybe you have done in the past and not hold on to that? I think that forgiving yourself, I think that it sounds easy, but it can be hard in all of the reminders, the con- for me, the constant reminders of like, oh yeah, I, I am, I still haven't mastered this or I did this wrong thing again. And yeah. that is, I mean, I know that I keep bringing it back to this theme, but like Heavenly Father doesn't want us to feel that way. That's not his intent for us to go through this test in life is to just have like constant reminders of how we're falling short. That's totally Satan's agenda. So I think that 
when we can recognize, when we can stop and recognize that we're feeling bad about ourselves, when I feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I just still cannot get this thing right. Like I cannot nail patience with my kids. I have five of them and they're like a handful. Um, <laughs> then I think that turning things over to God again and asking for his help and his validation of like, hey, you know what? You're doing your best. It's okay. And we don't have to be perfect every day. Putting all of our burdens and our shortcomings and our obsessions with our imperfections on the altar and, and giving them to God and then letting him validate us back. Like that's for me where it's a constant thing. It's not a one-time event of like, now I forgive myself for everything I've done in the past right. and I am perfected. Like it's not like that. It's an everyday battle. Like we, I slay that dragon almost every day of Satan wants me to feel less than and God wants me to feel like I am exactly enough and that I am his. So it's just, it's just a reminder, right? Somebody said the other day to me that repentance is reminder in another language. And I wish I was articulate enough to remember what language that was, but it was beautiful. I was like, that's so cool that we, we just need to remember who we really are. Like that's what actually yeah. repentance is all about is remembering who we are, why we're here, and then we can get it all right. Well, I think that is the number one question I get as a seminary teacher from all of the kids in my class. They're always like, I've repented. How do I know if I've been forgiven? I don't feel like I've been forgiven. Yeah. And you just said something interesting right there. You said you have to turn to God to validate you yes, and validate your repentance. So how do you feel that? Mm. How, do, how does Corinne feel that? Because I think everybody feels that differently. Yeah. But I want right. to know how you do. I, I get that because I think we all do feel the spirit differently. I think we're all on different parts of our journey with our spirituality and our, our faith and how close we do or don't feel to God at different times in our lives. And I think that can ebb and flow. But for me, the strongest validation that I get, I feel like, is in the temple. And I try to be in the temple once a week because as much as I try to like get on my knees every morning, and that's, that's a really important part of my daily routine is to like get on my knees, ask Heavenly Father to validate me and to guide me to whatever's most important and to have the power to do all the things he needs me to do. Like those are the things that I ask for. That's great. And I do believe in that power of prayer, but I think that like taking it one huge step farther is getting inside the temple because it's so quiet and peaceful and there's no distractions and you're really consecrating your time and, and your effort and your heart to the Lord. And that's where I just feel like I hear him so clearly. So I feel it. I like, I feel a difference when I'm not in the temple weekly. And I know that's not mm. available for everyone, depending on where you live, yeah. but it's just something that once I, once I had that in my life, I was like, I don't want to live with this without this anymore. And the times that I do where I get too quote unquote busy, cause like we're all busy, but we also all make time for Instagram. So like how busy are we actually, you know, um, <laughs> when I don't make time for the temple, I feel it in my life. So, you know, that's, that is where I get honestly, truly my ultimate, like not only validation, but kind of that whiplash of like, oh yeah, wait a minute. I'm here just to make it through this like little mortal test. That's all I have to do. And then I get to live with God. And it's such a good refresher of, it puts everything into perspective of, oh yeah, that's why we're here. We're not here for all these other dumb worldly things that we get caught up in. We are just here to make it, to live with God and to hopefully help our family too, if we can and others around us. But like, that is the point of life oh. is to just love God and 
make our hearts aligned with his and make it to live with him forever. Well, and I think that leads to something I've been thinking a lot about, and that is that we as human beings, it's oftentimes hard to let go of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to let go of our internal struggles, and maybe it's hard to let go of what somebody else has done to us. We're really good at remembering those (laughs) times, right? right? But God isn't that way at all. He doesn't hold us to our mistakes. And like it says in Doctrine and Covenants 58, verse 42, he or she who has repented of his or her sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. Yes. How do you try to apply this example of the Lord when you are forgiving others? It's Sorry, I keep going back to the steps, but it's hard for me to not go back to that because it was just the most impactful thing I've ever done in my self-development and my spirituality. And this takes me back to when I did my sixth step. So when you do step six, you become ready to have God take away your character weaknesses and you, you make a list. And so the thing on my list that I was most reluctant to give away was my anger toward my husband and all of the hurt that I had like very carefully calculated. You know, I had a really good accounting of all the times he had let me down or things that I would never get over. I would always be a little bit mad at him for because of his addiction and the the chaos that it brought into our life and our marriage and really important milestones in our lives and our children's lives. And so when I had to face that and say, am I going to ask for God to take that away? Because I kind of like that one. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel if I'm a little bit mad at him, then he can never fully hurt me. And that was, again, like one of Satan's lies of like, oh, if you stay mad at somebody, then you have power over their ability to hurt you. No, that's, that's not how it works. When you stay mad at somebody, you just start keeping yourself from feeling love for them, feeling God's love for you. Like, you know, that's what Jesus was all about. Like, let's all feel love. And so when I finally was like, okay, I am ready to do this step. And I actually was humbled to the point where I was like, I can't sit on this step anymore because I, I heard somebody say in a meeting, if you are sitting on a step, God will humble you to move on to the next one. And I thought, that's not true. And then something, I don't even remember what it was, but something big happened that week where I was like, okay, okay, Heavenly Father, I hear you. Like I need to, I need to actually do this step. And when I asked God to take away my anger and resentments toward my husband for the things of the past, something so magical happened where I feel like that was one of the most tangible evidences of the atonement of Jesus Christ in my life, where from that point on and still to this day, whenever we have disagreements and we still do, that all of the stuff that used to come up, it used to be just like an automatic instant. Like, I'm not only mad at you for, for this, but for everything but this, else. This, this, this. Like I've got the, I've, I've got it like in, you know, the back, my, my back pocket, all of the things that you owe me for, for the rest of my life. It was like, it not only was it hard for me to recall and it didn't come to my remembrance, but it also was like, I don't feel that stuff anymore. Like it's gone. Like when I asked God to take that weakness away from me and I asked him to help me to just get over all this stuff that I was carrying around, that he actually did it and it worked. And so I think that that's been a gift for me, but I I also watched my husband do that too. His brother was murdered four and a half years ago. He was shot and killed. He had four little kids. It was so horrific. And 
you know, I watched my husband go through his different stages of grief. And when he hit the anger phase, he was in it for a while. And it was devastating to watch how it just trickled into everything in his life. Like that anger affected everything about who he was. And I just watched him stay stuck for so long, just feeling angry and also watched how much humility it took him to finally say, I'm sick of drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Like this isn't making it right. It's not, Mm. it's not leveling anything out. It's not creating justice with the guy that killed my brother. It's just making me miserable and making my relationships miserable and making me not my most awesome and best self, you know? So when he finally was like, I give up, I surrender. I have to use the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the only way I'm going to make this whole. And I watched that transformation within him. It was another testament to me of the atonement of Jesus Christ and how it really can work in even the ugliest and most dark, awful situations in our life, that he can take anything, anything that is just so broken and you feel like it's beyond repair and he can make it whole and he can make it okay for us. What a powerful example. And I think it's really interesting. I'm really grateful that you said that it took him time. And that it takes all of us a different amount of time. I don't think it's you have a week or you have a month or you have a year, right? It's going to take us some time to be able to get to that point where we can surrender to the Lord. And you mentioned that pride is often in the way of us being able to forgive someone else. Can you tell me more why you think that? Yes. I always say I have this funny little saying that I will say to Neil, like, all roads lead back to beware of pride. That's my favorite talk by Ezra Taft Benson. And actually, if you are like me and you grew up in like the 90s-ish era and you love President Hinckley, you'll love it even more if you listen to it because it's sweet Gordon B. Hinckley's voice reading the words of Ezra Taft Benson because President Benson was too sick to give that talk. So President Hinckley reads it and you just hear so much like beautiful emotion in his voice as he's reading these prophetic words. But in that talk, he describes pride so well and how pride gets a hold of our hearts and, and traps us from progressing and feeling love and doing all the things that we were sent here to do. And one line that I always go back to is that he says, it is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. And it's, it's enmity. It means like anytime you are in hostility or a state of opposition with anyone Uh else. So what that tells me is even when I'm in a state of opposition with my neighbor, cause they bug me, you know, like, or one of my kids, like we're in a state of opposition. Like that is Satan getting in there and, grabbing a hold of our hearts. And that is how he reigns over us. Instead of being under God's influence, the influence of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit, anytime we're in at a state of opposition with someone else, that is pride. And when we don't want to let go of that, and we want to stay annoyed or angry or bitter or resentful towards someone else. We are not allowing ourselves to be under the influence of the Holy Ghost. We're allowing at least a portion of ourselves to be dictated by Satan's ability to influence us to stay stuck in that negative feeling, in that resentment, and and in that pride of feeling like, no, I'm right. Like, I have a right to feel this way. So I think once we unpack that and realize like, whoa, this is Satan's playbook. This is him trying to, to control me. 
then it opens up our eyes and it gives us a lot of power to go back to our heavenly father and be like, whoa, actually, wait, I don't want to do this. Like, this is not where I want to be. And it does require humility, which is hard at times, a lot of times, you know, where you feel like I'm totally justified. Like again, in my husband's example, like he's obviously, I felt like watching that he was totally justified to be so angry and hurt and wronged by this person who took away his brother's life. Like he does not get to be on this earth anymore, but it doesn't make that anger and holding on to that resentment. It was a win for Satan, right? It wasn't a win for heavenly father to be able to help Neil. And so whenever we can recognize that and be like, Oh wait, this is not how heavenly father intends us to feel. Then we can surrender and go back to him and say, please help me to align my will with yours. And, and he will, he'll come in and rescue us right away as soon as we're ready. And to be able to recognize that really we're leaving room for Satan to be able to influence us when we're mm-hmm. holding on to that. Yes. And I think we hear that a lot, that forgiveness brings peace. And I think that's pretty obvious, right? That forgiveness yeah. can bring peace, but I think there's so much more to that. And you even mentioned that it got to the point in your husband's life and in your life where you just had to surrender. Mm-hmm. What did you notice about him when he was able to do that? What changed for him? Well, this is the, obviously like the most dramatic example, right? That I have in the last 14 years of knowing him was watching that pain, that like horrific pain of being so grief stricken that he just was angry and that that anger was, like I said before, trickling into all parts of his life. But when I saw him finally get to the point where he was sick of, sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, like he just was tired of feeling so low about that. And he gave it over to the savior and said, I can't carry this burden anymore. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to give it to you. When he did that, it was like, he came back. It was like, Neil and his best self, it was like you poured life into him. And that's what we know about the Savior too. We know that he is the living waters. And so I feel like that's what I watched. I watched almost like someone that was just so dried up and was so desperate for feeling better that once he let go and let God pour into him, it it like brought him back to life. It was like he was his old self again. And I think that we all can go through that. That was an extreme example, but I think that all of us can feel that where we let go, we let God, we let him pour into us. And then it's like, you're alive again. And you, it feels so good. I think that's one of my favorite things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's not some like long, slow progression that someday in the next life we'll feel good and feel peace. Like that's available to us today, literally now, right now, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, like whatever it is that's holding you back from feeling the Holy ghost you can give it to God and feel better immediately. Like feel his peace and feel him pour into you. That's an immediate thing. I think in in both areas, right? That we can ask God to pour into us for somebody else's mistakes mm-hmm. that we're feeling yep. resentful and for our own that we're holding on to. Yes. And that God will immediately forgive, right? Mm-hmm. I love this scripture in Isaiah 1 verse 18. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Forgiveness is an essential part of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we we assume, oh, that's going to work for somebody else, but that's not going to work for me. Yeah. that's We call that 
terminally unique in in recovery. Why <laughs> do we, we do that? that way? I don't know. It feels that I think that goes back to what we very first talked about at the beginning of this episode, where we all feel so isolated in our sins and in our ugly, you know, imperfections. And oh, if people knew this about me, they wouldn't like me, and nobody would accept me, and I would be rejected by the world or by my peers or people in my ward or whatever. And ironically, that's the common thread. That's all of us. It's every one of us has these things, these like, you know, ugly, broken things that only the Savior can fix. But that's what makes it so great. So Corinne, as you've learned a lot about forgiveness, forgiving others, forgiving yourself, what have you learned about the Savior? Well, I think that this year's Come Follow Me has been such a gift to me. I feel like really reading and diving in and feeling like I'm not only fed by those words, but being instructed by the Savior himself. Mm. I think I've learned that he is compassionate beyond measure. I think he also is very patient with us with how many times it takes for us to figure something out. I think he has a sense of humor. <laughs> I think that like when I when I recently was reading about, you know, after he comes back and he's with his apostles and I mean this is like one of my favorite things that I discovered in the scriptures this year that Peter's like I'm going fishing. He goes fishing. He catches nothing and they're coming back to shore and Jesus goes children. And he's I don't remember the exact words, but I do know that he calls them children. And he says, "Did you catch anything?" And they say no. And then he lovingly says, okay, like cast your net to the left side. And then they catch all these fish and then he feeds them and he loves them. But like, I Wait, think this he's, seems familiar. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he's real. He's human and he loves us and he's patient. And I think that some of the beautiful things in the parables, if you look for how human he is, how compassionate he is, how he's our friend, you'll find it. Like you'll find it in the parable of the wedding guest where the wedding guest shows up, they're not wearing the wedding garment that they were given. And then the, the Lord says, friend, like, why are you not wearing this? Like, there's so many evidences if you're looking for them in the prodigal son, just so many ways where God's like, oh, I'll take you at the very end. Yep. You earn the same thing as everybody else. Or you come home, we're going to celebrate you. There's so many ways that God shows that he is our friend and he loves us and he's cheering us on. And I think that a lot of times it feels like God is so distant and he's not, he's just right there. And you know, that Jesus in his beautiful, perfect instruction shows us that he walks with us in everything. And it's just, we just have to remember, we just have to be like road to Emmaus. We have to just realize like, oh, he is right there and he's loving and forgiving and patient and kind and funny. And he really cares the the same way that you can imagine the person that cares about you so perfectly in your life. If you can think of like the person that's been the most loving to you of any person you can imagine, whether that's like a parent or a grandparent or a mentor or whatever, times that by 50,000. And that's still not enough to measure how much Jesus perfectly loves us. And I think that's probably the my favorite thing I've learned about him. And I think sometimes we take our own feelings that he's going to be disappointed or he's yeah. going to be sad or he's going to be upset if I have to repent again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. But I love how you said he is never disappointed. He's thrilled. Let's throw a party. He's like, you're back. We're, we're partying. Let's go. Yeah. That's how he feels. He's never like, Oh gosh, such a slacker. I'm glad you have showed up at the end of the day. 
you know, I guess I'll give you what you deserve, but you really don't. He's not like that. He's just like, great. You came. Glad you made it. You get what everybody else gets. Like, yeah, that's how he is. And I'm so beyond grateful that he doesn't give me what I deserve. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, Corinne, this might not be the most simple challenge because I think asking for forgiveness and giving it can be a wrestle at times Mm -hmm. and for a lot of us. But every week we love to issue a small and simple challenge, something that we can work on throughout the week. So do you have something small and simple that we could start with on the path to forgiveness and receiving peace in our lives? Mm, Yes. My challenge would be, and this is a challenge I hold myself to all the time, is go dig up that talk, beware of pride, and think about someone that you're at odds with. And read that talk with eyes to see, ears to hear. Listen to it if you like President Hinckley. And then ask Heavenly Father to help you to be willing to be humble and to change. And and watch how not only it affects the relationship with that person, whoever that is, but how much it softens your ability to like hear the voice of the Lord and to feel him closer because that's what happens when we submit ourselves to his will and when we get humble and when we're willing to let go and forgive and try to be more like him is that we get closer. So that would be my little challenge just to go listen to Beware of Pride. Think with the thought in mind of whoever you might be at odds with and then just watch the miracle of the atonement of Jesus Christ work in your life because it works. It works every time. I've never tried that formula where it's let me down. So good. I love that. Thank you so much, Corinne. Thank you. I love that you could be here. Oh, thank you. It's a gift to talk to you and learn from you too. Something that I'm going to think a lot about this week is the quote from President Benson's talk that Satan will reign over us when we hold on to pride and contention. And I don't want to give Satan any more room into my life. So what can I do to release and let go of that pride and contention and place it at the Savior's feet? Thank you for being here and hop on over to Instagram at Magnify Community for more inspiration and conversation. And of course, subscribe and listen to the Magnify podcast wherever you get your shows. See you next week. Thank you.